Good evening. Welcome to the mumble. There is food in my refrigerator. There is lots and lots and lots of food. There is food for the little ones. There is food for me. There is food for my wife. There is food for the big ones. There are specific pre-ready meals that other people have cooked for us as well as the food that we have made and the ingredients for food to be made and on top of that there is a freezer full of food of meat of all the elements that go into food as well. There is food and food and food. And you are probably listening to this and going, yeah, so what, man? There's, what's unusual about that? There's, yeah, there's food. There's, that's, you know, that's how it works. We have fridges and freezers and oh yeah and there's another fridge and it's full of drinks chilled water soft drinks iced teas beer that isn't put it this way, if the electricity stays on and for some reason we couldn't go to the shops to get some food for whatever reason we probably got about a week's worth of food comfortably And you're like, yeah, so what, man? That's, that's what it is. You have a fridge and you have a freezer and you have a bar fridge or, you know, a drinks fridge or whatever. That's, that's the way it goes. I, that isn't normal. Really, that is not normal. Even though it seems so normal and matter of fact and it's not even like... You can ramp it up and then some. I just saw some uh, little willy wagtail birds getting stuck into a crow. They were really going at it. Two or three of them really getting some hits in. That was pretty. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, you can lift it. You can lift it up a level and go. Well, then there's people who've got. You know, that's just normal. People. There's people who've got like the. Uh, you know they've got they've got the bar at home with the uh, with the keg. You know on tap they've got a couple of uh, couple of different beers on tap constantly chilled, and then they've got the wine 
the wine cellar and they've got the uh, the like little uh, whatever you call it the wine I don't know what the word is but to bring the uh, bring the wine to the right temperature and you've got the different levels for the whites and the reds and just making sure they uh, they're at the right temperature before you drink them and then you've got the people who've got like the deep freeze pantries and where essentially it's like a walk-in where you can even hang like big time meat and stuff it's almost like a commercial level level thing um yeah they I don't think that's normal for much of the world for billions of people in this world that is not that is not a normal thing you know that isn't the way it is and uh, far less than it like having a fridge that is like having electricity having a fridge in the first place a freezer and then having an electricity supply that is reliable enough that you can you can really sort of prep or plan to store or keep food for a long time I mean what we're essentially doing even though we don't realise it is we're mitigating risk and we are both mitigating risk of food spoiling by keeping it at a certain temperature but we're also mitigating risk of our food supply being disrupted or threatened by being able to keep about a a week or maybe a few days worth of food on hand and that gives us some degree of security as to what as to how we live our lives and a lot of people much of the world I think and I really should get some demographic information to revisit it I, lo I love demographic information because the percentages help put stuff sort of show things in reality they used to have those things that be sent around about one you know if the world were a hundred people blah blah and what what that would be I think they seem vastly out of date I think but I'd love to see a uh, a current one And it does seem odd, but if we have a 1% that have half of the global wealth, you know, it'd be things like one person has half the money or half the wealth or whatever, and all this stuff, you know, 50 people have been to school or something, you know, all that kind of deal. Um, but for most people, I don't think it is normal to have a fridge full of food or freezer full of food. And... What I guess I'm going, where I guess I'm going with this is 
do we really hear much of those stories of people's lives and I guess in saying that I'm sort of saying do we really hear about how people live in reality the stories being told are by definition stories of privilege I think to be a storyteller is to be in a privileged position a position of privilege by definition it doesn't matter your background or your demographic and you know it doesn't matter if you are a if you're African if you're a woman from Senegal say by or by definition if you are telling your story you're in a position of privilege there's this kid riding a bike across the road he's got it's like a 10 speed but a mountain bike but he's got it he's got the back he's got the seat so low and then he's got it in a really low gear that he's basically not moving at all he's just kind of rolling along interesting I'm sure he's happy um lots of kids on mountain bikes cool um the even though you are in that group that may be disenfranchised that may be on many levels considered second class by you know there's the stigma racial stigma of being African you know in a dominant a world that's cultural a western world that's cultural dominant white um, second second class and in both cultures to various degrees being a woman and therefore the history of oppression and discrimination and sexism and things like that um, possible religious um, fervor disenfranchisement maybe you're a minority religion in your country of origin and thus you have you know whatever it may be by the fact that we end up hearing your story it's you are privileged and I th that makes me think because you do need access to the means of propagation of your story which will be obviously uh, mass communication or publishing or a west you know like a a framework of distribution you the position of storyteller is a privileged position and you may have stories told about you sometimes but again the storyteller is a position of privilege and that that framework is something that I don't think is at all new um, and that's where we look historically and you have to wonder all the gleanings we make of what 
life is and we sort of have a sense that life was hard and harsh and brutal I think given that we have and to me the biggest invention of history is penicillin and antibiotics the modern medicine uh, it's can't say enough how transformative it is if like it is the literally the it has I think it has transformed society more than more than anything its impact is mammoth beyond mammoth I, I really don't think it can be understated how vast an impact modern medicine has had on the world um, especially because basically it's death has become when it, the psychological impact of death being rare really really being rare uncommon is quite profound I think um, I would, I would say that the, I would say that we cannot really understand the mentality of generations before us. I think it would be incredibly difficult because death was such a constant and such a real and present danger at every on a daily basis the the trauma that must have been on each and every day is I think almost without concept yeah it's I think it would be almost impossible to to conceive of what what it is to just have a regular steady process of death happening around you all the time uh, it, yeah I, I, the mind struggles to stretch I think we I've talked previously about how our minds expand to work all around and uh, conceive of certain issues like our minds that had a certain political perception struggle to stretch to accommodate someone like Trump but then over time they do, they normalise and, and how that would, I think we would normalise a dictatorship just like people in the past have normalised monarchies that have been far more direct than say the one that exists in Britain now the one that exists in Australia um, the 
I think we shrink as well to normalise that people don't just die and that if someone cuts their you know their they get a cut from a a rusty nail that's not a life threatening issue if someone gets a uh, gets a bad flu normally that's not a life threatening issue so I don't I don't think we can really conceive of what a life where everywhere you turn there are potential life-threatening impacts in play at all times. I think it's nearly nearly impossible to to really perceive of that. But along with that, I think there's some, how much, uh, the other thing is how much our literal day-to-day survival, how much of life was taken up with the mechanics of day-to-day survival. So literally how to obtain food and just food for the day. That food for the day, various things you need, whether that was literal growing of food or whether it was a working and obtaining some food, whatever it may have been, um, that sort of perception of what is the effort required just to sustain existence is I think in many ways a difficult one to to understand and I think um, part of that means how much time do you really have, so the stories that we've really received and when I say received they tend to be ones that are written down, I know there are oral traditions that have been kept and that we a lot of effort and work has been put into 
capturing these, particularly ones where the cultural language itself is in, in danger of dying out. But a lot of these Um, a lot of the stories that are kept are what is written down and there are levels of privilege involved with getting to the point where something is written down and one it's having a technological basis on which to write things down two so you need a, a writing system so that sort of is a fixed point in time for a lot of cultures where there's a before the written word and after the written word. Then two, you need to be educated in the means of writing. So you need to know how to read and write, which so many of people throughout history did not actually do. So you need to be able to read and write and then third to that you need to have the luxury so you need to be in a culture that has a written word you need to be trained in the ability to read and write and then you need to be you need to actually have the time apart from your daily effort of you know your daily bread to write things down and then <laughs> it needs by some means and some happenstance to actually have been main, maintained throughout history to come down to us but the actual point beyond that small chance the actual, getting to the actual point where you could write down something with some permanence was in itself an extremely privileged position to be in which given the investment therefore that is required in a culture where reading and writing is not the norm to be one of those who is trained in the mechanism of reading and writing and trained in and then have the time. That's a position of great privilege, which would therefore mean, by and large, that a large portion of your life would probably also be privileged, just even by, even if you weren't born to privilege, by the fact that you have been selected or have had the opportunity to have the privilege to read and write, you are probably likely to have availed yourself of all other matters of privilege and benefits also. So the perspective we get from the written word in history is far more likely to be a story of privilege, even if the person telling the story is not of a privileged class, than it is to be the story of the common man, as it were, the, the, a perspective that is reflecting what the everyday perspective is. And part of that is that life is short, tenuous, 
and brutal. I think that is a large part of human experience. And it is extremely odd that we drive around in these air-conditioned cars and we stop at station, you know, gas stations, petrol stations to fill up and grab ourselves a snack and a coffee and sort of go on our way about our day and even the people who work physically in that are not working brutally there are various mechanisms that are extremely pleasant in many ways so and then there are the others who go to air-conditioned offices and sort of work on computers and sort of have this spurious relationship to any sort of real work or outcome and then kind of, how would you say, do a, uh, do you know, get up and go to the fridge and get themselves some water or go and make, them, make themselves a cup of tea and sort of have a wander around and a chat. I mean, life is extremely, shall we say, pleasant. It may have pressure. It has pressures and stresses and all sorts of things and challenges and worries and fears and concerns. But they're generally far less visceral than at any time in recorded history. They're far more... It's all just very pleasant, you know what I mean? It's all just very, very pleasant. And I can understand why, for instance, people do things like Tough Mudder or triathlons or MMA or all this stuff, you know. It's, I think, some... call it, a res residual element of an expression, you know, psychic expression of the the life that once was, and it's not, I don't think it's that we yearn for that, but we, there's something in us that when we feel that, there's something invigorating about it, I think life might have been a lot more I can. I mean, it's pretty clear that we were a lot more present just because we didn't have devices, if you know what I mean. We didn't have these little things that we walked around super focused on and super attached to that took our, you know, took our attention. What? I've heard it said that, and the, you know, we, we for much of humanity look to the sky. We're either looking to um, to literally to the sky for rain and trying to interpret the signs of whether it would rain or wouldn't for things like planting crops or or understanding the weather conditions. We were looking to various, you know, we were looking up to see what was coming over the next hill was 
was it friend or foe was it a threat was it you know an army something like that coming literally coming towards us um, and then we were as time went on at a certain point we started looking much more horizontally towards each other and sort of human interaction and as we started living in, in bigger conglomerations humans became the biggest factor how we, we live together and then beyond that looking towards we started you know looking down and being consumed with our devices and that being our primary mode mode of interaction with the world so I guess the the challenge there is to be aware that our lives are very unlike any other lives in human history that probably and there's certain points in time of demarcation where lives could say to be changed to a great degree um, but there there's certainly a visceral nature to life that is absent and I guess one of the challenges there is say in fiction is capturing that or how to conceive of that what is what does that evoke? How do you convey either the visceral nature of life or its absence? And it doesn't have to be a sort of ethereal floating, but there's definitely a challenge there in dealing with what is it to be human and also understanding the privileged position from which you write um, and there's varying degrees and levels of that but I think there's definitely a a privilege in the act of writing and understanding that historically what we receive by the written word comes definitely, most definitely from a position of privilege in some way, shape or form. Cheers.